Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest in today on today's podcast is my friend from social media, and we've met at a few events, Chris Irvin. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you. I like to do a bio of people, and we visited ahead of time, and we'll see how correct I got this. Chris is married. Um, she has a husband, Nate, and a son, Toby. She also, on social media, talks a lot about possums. So we're going to talk about that as part of her story. Um, Chris identifies, and we'll talk a fair amount about this, as transmasculine, non-binary, and asexual. So if you listeners are like me, you're not real familiar with those terms. And Chris is brave enough to share um, her story and, and that identity that resonates with her and is her. Um, Chris is active in the church, um, goes to church, has a deep testimony of the church. We'll talk a little bit about the unique road she walks as an LDS member. Um, and I will use the pronouns they for you. Yeah. Well, you, let's just, as I try to do that, not use she or he, and I use they, for our listeners, when I use they, we sometimes think of multiple people sitting around with me doing this podcast, but they refers to one person across this round table, Chris. Will you just explain to our listeners why they is the right pronoun for you? So um, I uh, don't use he or him because um, I pass as female. Um, also because when I was a teenager and would get referred to as he, him, um, I kind of would shame myself um, and make myself feel really guilty for enjoying being called he, him. Um, but she, her also doesn't really fit me. Um, so I, I prefer they, them. And I will tell you, um, I'm, I'm studying English. And when I first heard of people using they as a singular pronoun, I thought it was really dumb. <laughs> and I was like, that's, you can't do that. But we do it all the time. We just don't think about it. Um, if you find keys in the parking lot, you take them up to uh, like the store manager and say, someone left their keys in the parking lot. So you, you use it all the time. You just don't really think about it until you actually have to stop and think about it. It's <laughs> great. So... And that's a big part of your journey. And that to me has been, I mean, uh, uh, come with me, listeners, because I don't have this all figured out, even at this point where I've met so many LGBTQ people. And Chris is someone that I've known through social media, but I haven't known um, they whole them. story. Them well, whole and I'll, I'll be honest, I am LGBTQ and I don't know it all. I haven't figured it all out. So we're all trying to figure it out together, I guess. So talk about growing up and um, this term gender dysphoria. Talk about how you recognize, you may not have had that word, but you recognize that there was something going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I've known uh, that there, there was something different about me since I was about three years old. Um, I can remember uh, wanting to be called by a boy's name, um, wanting short hair, I hated wearing dresses, um, wanted to uh, go play with the boys, go do sports, go uh, do Ninja Turtle stuff. Um, but I didn't really have the word, like you said. Uh, and I just kind of always felt off. Um, and then as I grew up, it was kind of something I wasn't comfortable talking about with anyone. 
um, I would spend weekends with my grandma and I would ask her to call me by a different boy's name every weekend. And every weekend she would, she was fantastic. Um, she also was the one that like snuck me out of the house to get my first short haircut because my mom was very against me getting a short haircut. <laughs> um, and then, but you know, I, I couldn't really talk to her about this, this disconnect I felt uh, from being in a female body. Um, and I, as I, I became a teenager, um, I just felt like a freak and felt alone. Um, I kind of started uh, on a Star Wars chat room. Um, in 1999, I was 12 years old and uh, The Phantom Menace came out and there were chat rooms. And um, I, I was in these chat rooms and after three days of people just referring to me as with male pronouns, I was like, I'm just going to go with it because nobody's going to know. And uh, that summer was the best summer of my life. Um, I, I went by the name Eric. Um, everybody thought I was a boy. Like, it was fantastic. It was the happiest I had ever been up to that point. Um, and I made some some friends that I still have today. Um, but I, I just didn't know kind of what was going on with me. So I kind of just retreated into myself and felt miserable and freakish. Um, when I was 19, I decided that I wanted the LDS fairy tale of getting married in the temple and, and having lots of babies and singing primary songs to them. And, um, so I, I, uh, got married to my husband, Nate in 2006. Um, we had our son, Toby, in 2008, uh, and it wasn't until, two, uh, sorry, 2015, when I was 28 years old, that I learned the word transgender, and suddenly it was like my whole life just clicked. Like, I heard that word and, heard, and learned what it meant, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I am. This is everything that I am. It just describes everything so perfectly. So it was wild to, to know that one word. Like if I had known that earlier, I wonder how different my life would have been. Thanks for sharing some of your story. Um, talk about your emotional health up until you found the term transgender and kind of realized that's what's going on with you. Was your emotional health okay? Was it really bad? Were you suicidal at times with this sort of mismatch or dysphoria? Uh, it it was really bad. Um, I wasn't formally diagnosed with depression um, until I was oh, probably eight, but I know that I was depressed before I was eight, and I can remember just feeling down and kind of broken um, and just that disconnect where I don't match who I feel like. Um, and what I am on the outside is not the same as who I am on the inside. Uh, and I struggled with it a lot, especially um, as, I, as I reached puberty and started going through all of those changes. Um, and I was suicidal uh, for quite a while. And it wasn't, it, it's what is called um, passive suicidal ideation, where you're not necessarily wanting to... Um, kill yourself but also if like you got terminally ill or if you just got sick you wouldn't want to take um, life-saving precautions um, 
and I did start self-harming when I was uh, 15 and continued that through until I was 19 or so uh, and still struggle with that occasionally up until the last couple of years. So yeah, my, my mental health has never been great. Um, but once I learned the word transgender and kind of uh, learned about other people and met other other transgender people, like my mental health has gone, it's only gotten better. Um, I had top surgery, uh, a double mastectomy in July of 2019. And um, I, my depression is 90% cured. Um, I don't want to say it's all the way cured because I still have, you know, a couple of days where a month where I'm down and, and sad, but it's gone from being just dark and sad and hopeless um, for, uh, let's say, 25 days out of the month. It's gone from from that to maybe two to four days out of the month. And that, and I've become an optimistic person, which I did not expect. <laughs> I have never been optimistic. And so that's kind of a weird side effect of top surgery, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> Can you explain, It's, I mean, it's explaining these feelings that are inside of you and words outside of you to help our listeners understand why top surgery would improve your emotional health. Is there any way to explain that to a listener? Um. It, it is really, it's hard to explain just because it's a very personal thing yeah. and personal for, for each um, transgender person. Um, everyone is different. I, I can only speak for myself. Um, but for me, um, having female breasts was, it just ma didn't match the, the person uh, in my head that I saw myself as, I guess. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, um, but it just, every time I would see myself in the mirror, it would be like, ah, what's wrong with oh, right. <laughs> Um And it, it was just painful um, trying to, I don't know, uh, go bra shopping. <laughs> that is like the eighth circle of hell, I'm pretty sure, in Dante's Inferno. Um, and it it was just it was just making me miserable and i yeah i don't know how to how to explain you know necessarily why it just it felt wrong all the time it's good you did a good job okay and a tender question and sensitive question and thanks for just being so honest well and i can say the same thing um for when i started going by chris um i didn't uh, my first name is amanda um and i went by that until i was 18 and chris is part of my middle name and I just had never felt like an Amanda. And my whole life, um, when somebody was, would call Amanda, I'd be like, who are they talking? Oh, right, that's me. <laughs> um, so there's always a disconnect there. And so I didn't really start going by Chris for any dysphoria reasons. I just decided that that's, uh, that felt more like who I was. And so um, I started going by Chris. And I cannot tell you... <laughs> the immediate difference it made in my mood. And I feel so much like a, more like a Chris, and it's been amazing. So I've been going by Chris for 15 years in August, and it's awesome. I love it. I love being Chris. <laughs> and um, 
as I understand, when people transition, everybody does it differently, and not everybody fully transitions or whatever the right term is. Um, but there's this legal, this social, and this medical. So you've you've touched on the medical mm-hmm. a little bit. You've touched on the social. Is that correct? When you take the name of Chris, is that a social transition? Uh, yeah, and it, it can be um, both social and, and Le- legal. Okay. Because I'm probably going to have my name legally changed later this year. Um, and then for medical, lots of people will transition on hormones and do hormone replacement therapy. Um, I tried testosterone for about three months um, just because I heard that it could help with depression and anxiety. Um, And it was kind of the last thing I wanted to try before top surgery because top surgery is such a drastic um, step. And uh, it didn't really help with my depression or anxiety. Um, And I, I just didn't feel, I don't feel the need to transition on hormones. I like uh, who I am. I like my body the way it is now that I've had top surgery. So I feel I feel good about where I have transitioned to medically. Do you feel medically you're done then? Yeah. I mean, you. Uh, I've learned that you should never say, yes, I'm completely done. But at the same time, yes, I'm completely done. <laughs> and it's, you know, as I've met with more transgender people, I just thought everybody sort of did this transgender transitioning all the same mm-hmm. in my limited sample. And then I've met with people that have talked about the goal was to eliminate dysphoria right. and, and the accompanied depression and just feel good. And so for everybody, that then is different levels. Yeah. I know one fellow I met that... Um, identifies as man, calls himself still transgender, but keeps the male pronoun and just is on um, estrogen. Okay. And that's all that he has needed to do to, to relieve the dysphoria. Okay. Um, yeah. And those stories would be probably more familiar to you than to me. Well, and I, I will say, so, I mean, I, I started going by Chris. Um, I had a hysterectomy when I was uh, in my early 20s just for medical reasons um, that were unrelated to anything with being transgender. And so I think one of the biggest things that causes um, trans men or trans masculine people to feel dysphoria is having um, a period every month. And so that definitely helped with my mental health, even though it happened before I you know, realized that I was transgender. And just talk about these terms to tell our listeners what transmasculine means. Okay, so um, if you 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 think of transgender um, as an umbrella, and under this umbrella you have things like non-binary, um, which means you don't really identify with uh, either male or female. You fit outside of the gender binary, or gender queer. Um, which is, I guess, for someone else to uh, explain because I'm not genderqueer. <laughs> um, but transmasculine just means that um, I identify as more masculine than feminine. But again, I'm not part of the gender binary. Um, I used to, when I first came out, uh, I called myself transgender um, and a trans man. Uh, but because I'm not transitioning further, I feel like uh, non-binary fits me more uh, better. Um, and and that's different for everyone. Some people uh, think that you should only be, you know, a trans man or a trans woman and that non-binary is just kind of dumb. But it, it fits me better than just being a trans man. I'm just trans masculine. That's great. 
Talk about asexual. Share, define that for our listeners. So transmasculine non-binary is my gender identity. And then asexual, uh, that's my sexual orientation. So they're two different things. Um, But sometimes people forget that in LGBTQ, there are both um, different gender identities and different sexual orientations. So for me, being asexual means I don't experience sexual attraction. Um, It's kind of something I didn't, realize um, growing up in the church you're taught from a very young age to avoid like sexual thoughts and I don't know anything to do with sex so I kind of didn't realize that I was asexual until um, I'd been married for about two or three years and I kind of googled it and Google was like "Uh, you may have a low sex drive or you may be asexual and I was like or maybe it's both (laughs) Um, so for me, it doesn't have anything like to do with my husband. Um, Nate is an awesome guy. I love him with all my heart. He's very handsome. I just don't experience sexual attraction, um, and I never have. Uh, so it's kind of funny. I joke that it's one of my superpowers because people say that sex sells, but not to me. It doesn't. <laughs> I love the way you took the shame out of that by saying it's one of my superpowers yeah. <laughs> versus, I don't, you know, versus potential shame because right. I'm just different than most people. Well, and it it's definitely something that I've had to learn how to talk about um, because with both um, being LDS and also being asexual, sexual uh, orientation, sexual attraction is not something I ever want to talk about. But um, I think it's important to do so because people haven't heard of being asexual and they don't know what that means. And I know I have met a lot of asexual people who have felt broken or felt that there's something wrong with them. And it's not. We're just different. It's just like being gay or um, lesbian. It's just a different kind of sexual orientation. Thank you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about... Um, oh, sorry. And, go ahead. And, Keep talking. You know, uh, Nate um, is cisgender, which means he identifies as male. Um, and he's also heterosexual, so that he's attracted to to uh, female bodies, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> um, but we make our marriage work. Um, it definitely has taken a lot of work and a lot of communication. Both of us have had to learn how to talk to each other and how to be open with each other. Um, but just because I'm asexual doesn't mean like that I don't have sex. Um, I know some asexual people don't. Um, I I do for for Nate, um, and we have a a kid, and he was conceived naturally. So, I mean, I just wanted to clear that up because sometimes, you know, you say you're asexual and people are like, but you're married. So, yeah. I've learned that communication is such a fundamental principle of marriages. And in my naive pre-LGBTQ days, I thought every marriage that wasn't two cishet people was not a healthy or authentic marriage. And I realize mm-hmm. now you're in a, a less traditional LDS marriage um, from gender identity and sexual orientation. But I've learned that there's a lot of parts of marriage that make a marriage work. Yeah. And um, often, so I've learned to say, this is a real, beautiful, authentic marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know you too well, but I've learned not to sort of try to in my mind, go to the complexities of your marriage and try to think, well, that's not a real marriage. Right. And I just recognize you two are great. 
Yeah, and you're we're pretty good. <laughs> talk about Nate's not here. He's at home with your son. Yep. Um, um, you came out to Nate at some point. Right. And um, any advice for, <laughs> I mean, just any learning you'd like to share, just the things that Nate did well or... I mean, I'm sure there were some really hard days that you both wish have some regret, perhaps. But oh, man. <laughs> just it seems like it's working. So just advice for other couples with somebody coming out? Again, the communication is, I mean, you can't overstate how important it is. Um, I think the biggest thing for, for Nate and me, um, I deserved respect. Um at all times uh, after I came out to him. And I mean before too, but after I came out. But Nate deserved time to come to, um, I don't know, come to understand. So, I mean, I think in the beginning we both kind of struggled with that. Um, I thought, well, I'm still the same person. I, this Nothing has really changed. Um, so I was very impatient with him. And he, I mean, he had just been thrown for curveball like he was totally lost and didn't know he kind of felt like I had just overnight become a whole different person which as as time has gone on we've both kind of you know know that that's not what happened it just he he didn't expect it um whereas for me it was kind of like I've always been this way like how could you not how did you not see it um I did try to come out to him before we were married but without having the right word, um, it didn't really click uh, or register with him. Um, so once I had the word, I was like, oh, this is so exciting. Now I know what, uh, how to describe myself. And I was like, just really thrilled. And he's like, uh, I'm not sure that I'm ready for this. So, I mean, it's taken five years of, of work and patience and talking with each other. And then there's there's some things where we don't agree and we just take a step back and, and sometimes, you know, it's okay to not agree on every single thing. So yeah, uh, we just, I'm not a patient person <laughs> and I've had to learn a lot of patience. And then Nate kind of has struggled with being an open person. And so he's definitely learned and improved on that. So we're both improving every day. Thanks for sharing some of that, Chris. Talk about, um, Possums, foxes and possums, because Chris is on Twitter, uh, at Chris, K-R-I-S-I-S 86, mm -hmm. and you have you do a great job on Twitter, and you in your name on Twitter, often you have the name possum oh, in there. Oh, there's always but, a possum in there. <laughs> so share with our listeners the journey with possums. Okay, so, so first of all, it's even in my handle, right? It's, it's crisis with a K because um, I'm always in some kind of existential crisis. And possums, they are always looking like they're in an existential crisis. They always have this anxious face on them. Um, but before uh, I got into possums, I was very interested in foxes. Um, and I ended up getting a tattoo of a fox that's kind of standing up like proudly. Um, and I got it about a year after I came out. And this fox is, I call it my defiant fox because he's hes standing up for himself and he's proud of who he is. And he's, he's strong and he's not willing to take um, people putting him down. 
Um, and so I got my fox and I love him. And then uh, I, I started on Twitter um, and it was actually like the possums started because I saw some possum memes and there, it's just like Google anxious possum and there's some amazing memes out there. Um, but I kind of um, became interested in them and started to learn more about them and possums, possum moms, they carry their babies for like months. Um, and there are some amazing videos of these, uh, you know, these house cat sized possums um, carrying a whole bunch, like 13 baby possums on their back. And there's one on their face and they're all like squished on there. And so um, I, on Twitter, I kind of um, started helping out and supporting um, LGBTQ uh, students at BYU and, and younger people and kind of became known as Twitter's possum parent. It's <laughs> cool. And so, uh, yeah, possums, like, they feel like they're my Patronus. I just, I identify, like, they're just anxious, but they're also uh, hard to get rid of. <laughs> they're kind of stubborn. And that's kind of how I feel. Like, I'm anxious, but I'm also stubborn and hard to get rid of. <laughs> Do you have a lot of people reaching out to you, DMs and that are early in the process of identifying and coming out as trans and needing someone like you that's further down the road to yeah. sort of have you put them on your back and help them along? Um, I definitely have. Uh, I don't really get a ton of uh, trans people in my DMs, um, but I do get a lot of younger people who are struggling with the church um, and they don't know how to... Um, remain an LDS while also um, being queer. Um, they don't understand, like, they don't understand the church teaching that uh, gay marriage is wrong. Um, they don't understand the lack of teaching on um, on being transgender. Um, so uh, I get a lot of people who are really struggling with the church and trying really hard to hang in there, but they're not sure, you know, where to go and, and who to talk to. What do you tell them? <laughs> I guess every question is a different answer, but generally what do you try to tell people? Um, so it's varied because I, I have struggled with the church myself. Um, when I was having a really hard time and not sure if I could remain LDS, um, I would tell people I'm I'm still a member because I'm stubborn, <laughs> um, and I if the if the church doesn't want me, then they have to get rid of me. Um, but now uh, I I think of the one scripture, and I cannot remember where it is. I think it's in Matthew, but um, it's uh, a father. Uh, talking to Jesus, and uh, Jesus says something like, um, "Where, why do you doubt?" or something, and and the the man says, "Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief." And that to me describes my whole faith journey. Lord, I believe. I want to believe, but help thou my unbelief, and kind of make up for for the parts of me that are struggling with believing right now. What a faithful response. I uh, I often feel like I am not a faithful person, that I don't have the gift of faith um, because I have struggled so much. But I'm kind of learning that even if I don't necessarily have faith, I have that hope to have faith. 
And so that, that gives me a little bit of peace. Are there specific doctrines of our church that really resonate with you? Um, I really love the, that, um, I, this is kind of an odd thing, but that uh, Jesus and Heavenly Father and the Holy Ghost are three separate um, beings because um, having them all in one just doesn't make sense to me, I guess. Um, for doctrine, I don't know. I'm not very like knowledgeable. Um, on, I like that answer. I don't know. It's a good. It's it's something I thought about a lot um, growing up because I had a, a a friend who was Baptist, and we would have our I don't know ten year old like theological fights, and you know we're just these little kids and have no idea what we're talking about. But um, I'm not I'm not really a, a gospel expert, but I love the Book of Mormon. Um, I think it has some really beautiful teachings. Um, I've been really excited to study the Book of Mormon this year. Um, it just resonates with me. Uh, there's some parts that I struggle with. I'm looking at you, Second Nephi, but there's some parts that just are absolutely amazing. Um, King Benjamin's speech just uh, gives me chills. So it's great. Sometimes, and I know you've heard these things, you know, we talk about the last days and Satan's influence. And so some people would say, well, Satan's just confused you, Chris. <laughs> and I'm sure you've heard that directly or indirectly. Um, just talk about your answer to that. Um, I and, would say I'm not. I'm sorry to no. ask that question because it might send just a little spear through your tender heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I have heard that before and not just once or twice. Um, I am not confused about who I am. I think often the church is confused about transgender or uh, gender nonconforming people. I think that as a church, we have a long way to go, um, and we need to do a lot of, of studying. But my favorite thing, uh, here's a, a thing that I love about the church is personal revelation. Um, I know that if we are asking Heavenly Father for further uh, truth, He will grant us that. And I think that um, a lot of us, are hoping and waiting for the church to kind of realize that all we need to do is ask and Heavenly Father will answer and, and help uh, the church understand uh, what it means to uh, be outside the gender binary. Um, but I'm not confused about who I am, and uh, I know that the Lord is not confused about who I am. Um, he knows what I've been through. He knows um, what dysphoria feels like. He knows what it's like to be different and to be outside the gender binary. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not confused. Uh, the Lord made me the way I am for a reason. And even though sometimes I may not fully understand what those reasons are, I can I at least have the uh, comfort of knowing that He knows why He made me this way. Thank you for that answer. Pretty that wonderful sense. answer. Are there parables in the scriptures that it, that in Christ's parables when he was on the 
earth ministering that resonate with you particularly? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm asking really hard questions. Yeah, you are. Uh, I mean, one that we've got this picture of the Pool of Bethesda in the podcast room, a copy of a Carl Block, and I look at that and I think, you know, who are the people at the Pool of Bethesda today? Not because they chose to be there, but because society kind of moved them there because they just didn't feel welcome. Mm -hmm. So I kind of look at that one, and some of you know, I don't know how many people are in that picture, but I wonder... You know, I look at it and think, well, those are some of the trans people of today that I potentially have moved to the margins with just my uninformed opinions. I don't know if there's any that resonate with you. Um, I mean, that's a really good one. And I I think of it, too, from not just an uh, LGBTQ perspective, but also uh, from the perspective of someone who has chronic illness. Um, so every time Christ is healing someone, um, I, I think of, you know, how he has helped sustain me through um, some of the times when I'm really sick and uh, not just, you know, physically, but when he sustained me through um, times of depression or when the dysphoria was really bad. Um, I think one of my favorite, I guess it's not a parable, but one of my favorite stories about Christ is um, with the, the woman with the issue of blood. Um, I just love that she had the faith to, to I, I guess, go after what she knew would help her. And I love that Christ was so patient with her. And, and I don't know, I think sometimes we just kind of read these things and do a surface reading. But if you think about it, Christ knew who she was, and he, you know, knew— he knew how faithful that she was. So, yeah, I don't know. I like that. <laughs> I like that, Chris. And I just read these New Testament parables that are, to me, I, th I think they're meant to be timeless. And so the principles taught in the parables apply to us today. And yeah, there's no LGBTQ people per se in those parables, but the principles taught in those parables help me to have a framework on how to treat other people. Yeah. And so I look at, you know, that story you just shared. The, I think of the Canaanite woman's another one I think about because she was, you know, Christ was coming to the Jews and she was a Gentile. Mm -hmm. And the disciples tried to shoo her away. They could, And she had so much faith in Christ that she kind of had to work her way around the disciples and she didn't even bring her daughter that she wanted to be healed, but she had enough faith that she could get to this Jewish, you know, savior. Um, that and he took some time for her, him, the savior, to fully understand or to fully kind of engage with her. And then he, because of her faith, healed her daughter. And I think about why is that in the New Testament? This Canaanite, she represents everything on the margins. She's a woman. She's a Canaanite, um, and here she is showing faith in Christ. And so I think about that, and I think, who are the Canaanite women in my life mm -hmm. that are equal and equally loved by God and equally worthy that I may, in a, in a feeling of whatever, just shoo them away? Yeah. And so those things kind of cause me to inward reflect. And I think it's easy for me to go back, Chris, and say, well, if I were— if I lived in Christ's day, I would have been welcoming to the Canaanite woman and the woman at the well and the woman with the issue of blood. And I, 
But I recognize that that's not, I, I can't take today's knowledge and go back then and say I would have figured it out. I have to. And so then I think, what am I doing today to potentially put push people on the margins? And that's what makes me, I love this quote from my one of my institute teachers, Michael Wilcox. In some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will still leave us with a great deal to be certain about while maintaining the humility to learn. Hmm. I love that. And I love that because that says, you know, I can be sure it's okay, but I need to have the humility to learn. Yeah. And if I just dismiss transgender people or people with gender dysphoria as confused or a sign of the last days, then it keeps everything emotionally safe for me in a nice tidy box. But I think it prevents the baptism covenant to mourn, bear, and comfort from opening up to lift your burden. Right, right. So those are some of my thoughts. And um, I wonder, you know, I've said this in a fireside recently talking about my transgender friends. My wife and I left the movie Harriet, um, you know, Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. And I thought of the heroic work she did and the white men around her. And I'm a white guy and I'm kind of old and I thought, you know, there were some white men around her that really supported her and some white men around her that really didn't. Right. And of course, watching the movie, I, I concluded I would have been on the right side of history. Right. But I recognize that's not, I don't know enough about myself to know that's true. Yeah. And so then I think, you know, in 20 or 30 years, am I going to be, or 10 or 5, leaving a movie with my wife talking about transgender Latter-day Saints of this decade? Right. And am I going to leave that movie with tears in my eyes, recognizing, you know, the unique road that they walked and how difficult it was for them? And and now I believe science is our friend. I think science will help us understand your gender dysphoria. Yeah. And I think one day, you know, I'll understand from a factual scientific standpoint why you felt this way mm-hmm. and we feel this getting, way. We're getting like close to that. There's always studies and and things coming out that are just fascinating to see. Yeah. And so I just think science is our friend. And so what do I do? I use the principles that Christ taught to extend kindness, grace, support, and a willingness to learn about your difficult road. I I will say um, I repent. I I hope that I have done enough repenting for the person that I was, um, you know, 10, 12 years ago. I was so judgmental and so homophobic. And just if I can choose to be feminine, then gay people can choose to not be attracted to uh, their, their same sex. And, oh man, I was so wrong. So I, I, I know what it's like to wonder, you know, am am I gonna be in in ten years? Am I gonna look back and and feel okay about the choices that I made, and and or is it gonna be the other way around? So I I have felt that, and um, one thing that I that gives me a lot of hope is Toby, my son. He is twelve. I came out to him when he was nine, um, not on purpose. <laughs> he kind of asked me what LGBT stood for. And so I explained what the letters were. And then he said, okay, well, are you any of those things? 
And I was like, oh, no, because <laughs> you can't lie, especially not to Toby. He will find out. <laughs> Way to go, Toby. Um, yeah, he's he's a sneaky one. Anyway, but I just explained it. This is this is why I'm different from other moms and, and why I don't like to wear dresses or, or a lot of makeup and why I have short hair and everything. And he said, well, it's OK that you're different. I like you being different. So, I mean, super awesome, uh, just really innocent. And he, as I've um, gotten to know other LGBTQ people and introduced him, he is so open and so willing to love and so non-judgmental. And it just, it just floors me because I wasn't that way at his age. Um, he's just amazing. So I have a lot of hope for the rising generation. I think that they're going to do some amazing things, and I'm just kind of eagerly watching. <laughs> I share that same hope, and it makes me think that God sent children into the world without bias. Yeah. And uh, and I picked up a lot, you know, homophobia, transphobia, racism, sexism. I just recognize that I picked up a lot of that. And it's hard to look inward and know how much of that I have and how much work I have right. to get rid of that. And then you see somebody like Toby— and and I think people are wired to just love everybody, but then we pick up things that make us cautious. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's talk about the church. You're active in the church. Um, talk about the second hour when it's priesthood release society. Where do you go? Where would you like to go, and where do you go? Um, honestly, ideally, I like if I were running the church, I don't think I would separate genders at all. Um, I think we learn so much more from each other when we're together. Um, if I were given a choice, um, I, I guess I would go back and forth between Elders Quorum and Relief Society because I do enjoy um, Relief Society uh, lessons, but I'm also interested in uh, Elders Quorum, and sometimes it feels like in Relief Society we get like the light, like the gospel light, right? And then in Elder's Quora, maybe they're talking more about uh, heavy gospel topics, and I don't know if that's the case or not. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable by uh, going to Elder's Quora, so I just go to Relief Society. I think um, sometimes uh, cisgender people are concerned that transgender people want to kind of shoulder in and uh, take the priesthood and hold the priesthood. Um, and for me, that's definitely not the case. Uh, I feel no desire to hold the priesthood. My husband holds it. That's that's enough for me. <laughs> so I, it's something that I don't think um, people should worry about. I like that answer. And the more I meet with... Um people that are transgender, the more I see different answers in that. Mm -hmm. And that's just been helpful for me that I just assume all transgender people were the same um, as far as all the same feelings about transitioning, where, how they felt about the church and how they wanted to handle priesthood and release society. And I've recognized that every story is different. Yep. And I can only speak for my own story. Within the transgender community, is there a are people, is it a community where everybody's honoring where everybody is, or is there a feeling you're not fully authentic as a transgender person unless you fully transition, whatever that is? Uh, both. Um, sometimes there's definitely that judgment 
judgmental, uh, well, you can't be really transgender if you're not on hormones, or um, you're not really trans if you're not transitioning. Uh, so that's there's definitely some attitudes like that. Um, but I think for the most part, um, we all recognize that everyone's path is different and that everyone's story is going to look different. And we just try to um, support each other as best we can from where we are on our paths. That's a great answer. And I just, one of the advantages, you know, it just adds, I don't know if I can say this right, but being um, straight and cisgender, no one's looking at my decisions and sort of judging them. Mm. Um, being heteronormative culture, but I recognize if I weren't, then the specific path I'm choosing may, you know, people may within that community then, you know, judge me for that. Right. I got so many people when I first came out that would say, well, why are you even bothering coming out? You're married. Uh, you've been married in the temple. You have a kid. What's the point of being out about being trans? Why don't you just not talk about it? And uh, the reason I talk about it is because uh, people need to know that there are transgender uh, members of the church and there are trans people among you. <laughs> um, and really the whole reason I'm out is because I needed someone like me when I was a kid. I needed a, a mentor or someone that knew and understood what I was kind of feeling and struggling with. And so my whole goal in life is to kind of be the person that I needed when I was younger. Um, so I, I've definitely gotten the uh, kind of the judgment from both, um, I guess, cis and straight people as far as coming out. And then I also get it from the LGBTQ community at, at points, people say, well, why do you stay married to your husband if he's not going to let you transition? Or um, maybe you should just cut ties from your family. And no, this is my this is my path to walk. This I'm making the choices that I am for my own reasons and nobody else gets to tell me what to do. That's great. I love the strength in that um, and the personal revelation and the confidence in your decisions, Chris. Thanks. And I think that's helpful for every LGBTQ person and straight person to feel is, and I think we'd both recognize that there's people that don't feel impressed to come out. And I, I've learned to, that to honor them and not think they're weak or not owning it, but they just feel through their personal revelation. But I love the answers on why you needed to come out to help others and be authentic. And I love the transition that you did and the fact that it eliminated the dysphoria and helped and improved your emotional health. I think a loving God would want all of his children to do the things they need to do to feel better. I agree. And and to take advantage of what's available to improve emotional health and to feel better. Yes. Definitely. Men, women are that we might have joy. Right. And I think education and science has allowed you to make good decisions on what is the right thing for you to be doing. Yeah. And it's not people that uh, take steps to transition, no matter what they are. We don't go into it lightly. There's always been research just beyond anything that you can imagine. I, I researched top surgery for five years uh, before I decided, yes, this is something that I really want to do. So, I mean, sometimes people think, well, you just want to go on hormones just to try and, I don't know, just kind of off the cuff and it's like no I promise I have really studied this out and really prayed about it and really thought about it so it's not just a uh, a whim I guess 
If I'm a ward member, what's the best thing I can do to just help you feel welcome in a congregation? Um, so the best things that I've found uh, for me personally, um, I don't want to be called brother or sister Irvin. Um, just call me Chris. Uh, I fought for that name. Um, it was really hard to, you know, be brave enough to start going by my middle name. And so I really just love being called Chris. Uh, it never gets old. Um, I also had a, a second counselor in the bishopric when I, I gave a, a talk last year. And when he was announcing um, the program, he made sure to use uh, my pronouns, they, them. And I can't remember. Really? Yeah, I can't remember exactly how he did it. And he didn't say Sister Irvin either. He said Chris Irvin. Um, and then he said they, them somehow. I wish I could remember how he phrased it. But I almost fell off the pew. <laughs> I couldn't believe that he would honor my pronouns up there on the pulpit in front of everybody. So, yeah, it, that was amazing. I And then um, even just two weeks ago, um, I was talking with some ladies out in the foyer and uh, one of them referred to me as she and then she stopped and just went, oh, they, sorry, I'm I'm still learning. And I was like, ah, but the fact that you stopped and recognized it and corrected and just moved on, that was fantastic. So yeah, um, use, use pronouns, ask the person what they want to be called, um, what name they want to be called, if they want to be referred to as brother or sister. Um, and then don't other them, I guess. Talk about that. Uh, it's easy to try and just like ignore people that are different. Um, I've been wearing a suit to church for like four years. And I always get really scared that people are going to treat me badly or treat me weird. Um, and, and it hasn't happened. Um, everybody, everyone that I've been around has always been really great about just accepting me no matter, you know, what. Um, but I know in some wards, uh, some of my trans uh, women friends, they wear their dresses and people just try to not see them. So they purposely look away and they just, they feel so lonely and so, uh, yeah, just alone and abandoned. And it's hard to go to church when, you know, your ward just doesn't want to see you for who you are. I love your answers to that. That question just came to my mind, and I love that you shared that. And I think of your ward members, your member of the bishopric that called you they, them, um, the people that aren't calling you brother or sister, or the people that ask yeah. and say, Chris, what, what pronouns, what should I do? And to me, you know, that... I didn't, if I had done that, there's nothing I sold out in our church to do that. It's not like I had to give up something right. or walk away from a belief and, or to compromise anything I stood for to just extend that courtesy. Exactly. So to me, it's all upside. Yeah. Um, it's not like, and so I sometimes, you know, I thought to honor transgender people, I kind of thought, well, I'm giving up something. And then I thought about it and I thought, I'm not giving up anything. Right. I'm just making someone's life better. And then I think about Brene Brown that talks about fitting in as assessing a situation and becoming something you need to be to fit in. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. Mm. And so your ward, and I'm sure it's not perfect, is helping you feel like you belong as Chris. Yep, absolutely. Um, 
the trans, masculine, non-binary, asexual, Latter-day Saint. Yeah. And we're not requiring you to fit in in these, and we're doing as much as we can. We need to do more to help you feel like you belong. Yeah. And I, I recognize that it's not easy for everyone, um, that, that it can be, change can be scary. Um, but just the fact that people in my ward and, and in other words that they're trying, that means, that means the world to, to me. Um, I actually, last year there was a, a lesson coming up that I was a little bit concerned about um, from an emotional health standpoint and didn't know if I should really go to church that day. So I just texted my Relief Society president and said, will you let me know um, what day this is going to be taught? Because I don't know if I really want to come on that day. And she ended up saying, you know what, I don't think we're actually going to do that lesson because it it has the potential to make you feel bad. It, it could hurt other people that are in the ward. And so they just skipped it. And to me, the the fact that she was willing to do that, that was so Christ-like and so uh, willing to uh, comfort those who stand in need of comfort, right? So, yeah, the fact that she was willing to do that for me, that was, it was really awesome. If I'm, um, and I'm not sure this is the specific topic, but if I were giving a lesson on the proclamation of the world, um, I, that isn't exactly what it's called, the proclamation of the family or... Mm -hmm. And I want, and I was sensitive to LGBTQ people within that lesson. Do you have any advice for me as a teacher if I were teaching about the doctrine of marriages between a man and a woman, um, and/or the proclamation on the family? Um, uh, it goes back to what I uh, said a little bit earlier that we don't necessarily have um, all the answers. Um, the proclamation is is wonderful, but. It, as far as we know, we don't know if it's complete or not. Um, we we um, are subject to continuing revelation. Um, so just be sensitive to that fact and acknowledge the fact that there may be other things coming, I guess, um, and that everyone's uh, situation, circumstances are different. And I know that there's a line in the family proclamation that talks about that, but I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> How do you feel about the language in the in that document that says gender is eternal? So uh, we get we uh, transgender people get asked that a lot, um, and for me it doesn't bother me. Uh, I don't know what the eternities will look like for me, uh, and I'm okay with that. I have enough to focus on right now um, with living here and now. Um, I know a lot of transgender people feel that yes, their gender is eternal, um, and their spiritual gender may uh, not match their the gender that they were assigned at, at birth. Um, so for me, it's not something that I'm really concerned about. I know that I'll get the answers eventually, and until then, I'll just I'll just focus on the here and now. Um, I've had people ask me. Uh, before I had top surgery, they wanted to know, well, what do you think your body will look like um, after the resurrection? And I kind of stopped and was like, that's a weird question to ask somebody. <laughs> but uh, again, I, I don't know. Um, but I think that it's not going to be as big a deal as we make it out to be with our limited understanding that we have now. I like your answers. Thanks. 
You know, just when I meet people like you and when I think about people different than me, especially my transgender friends, the core spiritual impression I get is to be humble, be teachable, and say that there's a lot I don't know, and err on the side of compassion and listening and support. And be, you know, let's like Nephi, nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. And I love that prophet who had multiple encounters. We're reading about him, obviously, right now. Mm-hmm. And I believe he said that. Um, but I love the humility and the, the example of Nephi. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. Mm-hmm. And so I look at that and I think, well, what's my responsibility to people I don't fully understand? And then I think, well, that's what Alma invited the people of the Waters of Mormon to bear, to comfort and listen, and not do anything to add to your burden. Right. With, I call it the trap of unopinions, with just things that I may have picked up that would be dismissive of your lived experience. Any things, we're kind of coming up on the hour mark, and listeners, I'm trying to do podcasts in an hour. We've done, last night's was in an hour, (laughs) so maybe this is a new trend. Um, Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Chris? Um, Be conscious of uh, what you say about LGBTQ people. I guess what I what I want to say is be careful, um, because isn't there some uh, angels around you are silent notes taking or something like yeah. that? But I'm thinking more of people who are LGBTQ maybe around you and can hear the negative uh, things that can be expressed towards them um, at church or or even just out in wherever. Um, and we know and we hear the things that are said about us, and it hurts. Um, so just be careful um, and be compassionate, like like you were saying, um, Brother Osler. It's it's important to just be kind because you never know what someone is going through or what, what battles they are fighting. So, yeah, just be aware and be compassionate, I guess. Those are my two like guidelines you can't ever be too kind i don't think it's great i'm going to close with a quote um that elder Uchtdorf gave in a training meeting in 2020 and he said brothers and sisters as good as our previous experience may be if we stop asking questions stop thinking stop pondering we can thwart the revelations of the spirit Remember, it was the questions young Joseph asked that opened the door for the restoration of all things. We can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? And so I read those quotes, and I th- and that helps me to want to be humble and teachable and say, what do I not understand about transgender Latter-day Saints? And so many of you may be listening to a transgender Latter-day Saint podcast for the first time with Chris, and thanks for listening. And um, I hope that everybody leaves this podcast with just more understanding and more support. And Chris, there is a wonderful spirit um, as I visit with you, an unusually wonderful spirit. We offered a prayer, and um, I just 
you know, we don't have testimonies on these podcasts, but I just hope all of our listeners can feel the goodness of Chris and their wonderful spirit and their wonderful life mission. And you're somebody that I admire and look up to, and I recognize you're able to reach people and help people in a very unique, it won't show up on LDS tools, on your, you know, on LDS tools, what you're doing, but it's your part of your unique life mission to help us come together as the body of Christ and to see that all parts, as talked about in Corinthians 12, of the body of the Christ are needed. And every part is equally as worthy as the other part. So Chris Irvin, my friend, and all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.